Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'd like to welcome here on stage to join me for the Autosport Live podcast, the editor of Autosport magazine, Kevin Turner, and from Sky Sports F1, the expert from the telly, Karun Chandok. Morning. Hello. We're celebrating 70 years of Autosport magazine here this weekend with a fantastic display of historic machinery coming up to the, the modern times, three cars from every decade. So, this is the big question, before we kick off and start talking about modern F1, Kev, your favourite car from the, what's 7.3s, 21, from the 21 historic cars here, what's your favourite? Um, well, you said that I like old things, and there's a, there's a Porsche 917 just over there in golf livery, and uh, yeah, I've always been a big sports car fan, and that was just yeah, an awesome piece of kit, long tail car, 240 miles an hour at Molson, down the Molson in 1971. That's got to be one of the ultimate racing cars, hasn't it? I've, I've, you've, have you ever driven one, Karine? Have you had a chance? So I nearly did. I even got in it, made sure I could reach the pedals at Goodwood, and then it chucked it down so we didn't end up running in the afternoon. So um, the owners promised me he'll, he'll let me have a go um, sometime this year, I'm hoping. So. You've got to let us know when that happens. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Who, who's the owner? Because uh, did, didn't, didn't a journalist once get sued for blowing the engine of a, of, of a 917? That did happen, which now means we have to get people to sign lots yeah. of waivers before yeah. they get well, what, 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 it, it was that, that engine had this, it was a flat 12, wasn't it? And had, had this thing where it could do 24 hours at 8,500 RPM. Give it 10 seconds at 8,501 RPM and boom. Yeah, it had a really tricky gearbox, which is what caught the journalist out. Uh, and, it, and then the rev, you know, the rev limit, it didn't have one basically, so it just popped the engine. So when someone like Joe Siffert can do it at Le Mans going past the pits in front of the team bosses, 
yeah, and he was he was pretty good. So yeah, it was very easy for a journey. So just a bit of warning there that uh, yeah, gear changing quite tricky. Maybe he'd watched one of those films where you know the, the the drivers are sort of neck and neck on the straight, now maximum revs, flat out top gear, and then they look at one another and one of them goes, oh, I'll just change down a gear and go past. That 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 is rubbish, isn't it? Yeah, that, <laughs> it's not and that happens in Le Mans, which of course the 917 features in strongly. Oh, in fact, fabulous. the best part of the film is when they have the real footage of the cars. <laughs> Enough of this nonsense. Karun, your favourite car. You might even have driven it. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the Mansell 14B that's, uh, that's just, just over there on the left. Um, I think that's, a, that's an iconic car, isn't it? You know, Red 5 winning the British Grand Prix, crowd invading the track. Uh, I was very lucky to drive it on, on several occasions, but I think the most special one was uh, in 2017, I drove it on Grand Prix Sunday. Uh, well, I drove it on Saturday after qualifying, and then Sunday morning as the crowd was coming into Silverstone, and it, it, was, uh, it was fantastic. I mean, I, I could almost hear Murray Walker, because that's the memory I have as a kid, is, is Murray commentating on Nigel going down Hangar Strait and that view from the cockpit with, with the crowd um, you know, around Stowe Corner. Um, yeah, a, a very special car, but also, the, of course, you've got the Senna McLaren MP44 as well. Um, you know, that's, that's two out of my three favorite Formula One cars here within, within 20 feet of each other, really. So, obviously, what's the third one, then? Uh, the Ferrari 641, the 1990 oh, nice. Prost yeah. Ferrari. That's that's probably the other one. That's good. Oh, and you did awesome. the Merc as well, haven't you? The, the last year's Mercedes. How how does the full? What are the biggest differences between the 14B and the the current cars? Uh, it, it's it's like going from the, a digital to an analog world in many ways. When you drive the older cars to to the modern ones, everything's more filtered. Obviously, the 14B was is technologically so far ahead of its time. Uh, and in fact, the the, the car. After that, the, the 15C, you know, it had individual pot braking, it had brake steer, it had, uh, you know, so much technology for something that was designed really on the first version of Windows. You know, some of it was done on MS-DOS, if you think about it. Um, you know, when I drove the, the, the 14B for the first time, the guys showed me the memory card, and it was the size of my phone, but it, it could only store one megabyte of information which is basically a third of your photo on, on, on How one many of selfies thoughts. would have fitted on that? Well, none. Well, maybe one very low-res one. But, yeah, it's, uh, uh, it's amazing how they managed to get the active suspension, blown diffuser, traction control, launch control. You know, they had all of this working given the software limitations at, at that time. It's, it's extraordinary, really, if you look at the, the engineering brilliance of people in F1. And that carries on, to answer your question, to today. You look at the Mercedes... You know, and I, I spent a couple of days at the factory, um, you know, in the simulator and getting prepared for the test with the engineers. And the level of detail that they go into, and you can see why they've been so successful, really, in the last six years. And, um, you know, it is, it's an extraordinary operation. Those of you here watching here live, if you've got a question for the panel, the first five of you to ask a question will receive an Autosport baseball cap signed by Lando Norris. Now, those of you who do not already have a baseball cap signed by Lando Norris might want to cook up a question or two. So, chaps, let's talk about modern F1 now. A very, very interesting and intriguing season last time out, especially from the midpoint onwards when, you know, Red Bull got their sort of their, their arse into gear, as it were, and actually managed to get the car working. We actually properly had three teams in with a fight. So, Kev, where, where do you rate their prospects of bringing that into 2020? 
Well, I think the good thing about 2019 was that there were lots of individually good races. You know, Austria was a great race, Germany, even the right battle at Hungary. You know, there was a lot of interesting... After the French Grand Prix, which was pretty dull, they were, all, they were all pretty good. But what we didn't have was a championship fight because Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes were there all the time and had built up a big lead early on. So Ferrari handed away too many points. Red Bull didn't get their act together quite soon enough. So Hamilton won the championship quite easily, even though individual races were tough. So obviously the hope this year is that Ferrari will cut out the mistakes and Red Bull will start where they sort of finished in the second half of last year. And I think that you'd like to think that one of those two things, two things will happen. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, look at Brazil. Verstappen was brilliant in Brazil. And, and if you look at qualifying, which is the penultimate race, you had all three teams within, you know, hardly anything really in, in Austin and Brazil uh, towards the end of the season. So that bodes well going into 2020 because we've got stability in the rules. You know, the, there isn't a change. There's a big change coming for 21. So you'd like to think that where we left off in 19, we're going to pick up in 20, which means we'll have all three teams. And now with Albon having had a, a good winter to prepare, hopefully all six drivers in contention for, for race victories. And also Ferrari, I think it's fair to say, had a, left a lot of points on the table last year. Strategy errors, clashes between Vettel and Leclerc, as that battle was happening. I think Leclerc has now established himself probably as number one, so you'd like to think that that will be, from the start of the year, they'll be maximising their points. So, yeah, hopefully Ferrari will not be giving away so much at the start, because obviously they lost so many wins at the, at the start of the year, and it was too big a gap to catch up. As, as, as the below-the-line commenters on our YouTube channel like to point out, we got a little bit too excited about Ferrari's pace in testing. Now, to what extent was that sort of flattering to deceive? And also, Ferrari admitted that they thought they were a half a second a lap quicker than Mercedes, and that turned out to be wrong. But Mercedes just sort of did their thing, didn't they? They turned up with a car that had been signed off in October or something and, um, and then added the definitive aero package the last couple of days. And it was like, see ya. Well, I think we were all slightly guilty of that, to be honest. Um, you know, I went to the last two days of testing uh, with Ed Straw and we, we stood trackside. And you could genuinely see the Ferrari looked like the most competitive package out there. They were delivering lap times on the long runs. And, and we all got on the plane to Melbourne thinking we've got a proper championship fight on our hands. Now, I don't think anyone thought Mercedes is going to be out of it, um, but we thought we'd have a, a battle on our hands. And, and actually, to Kevin's earlier point, I think we would have had a battle on our hands if Ferrari didn't leave all those points on the table. You know, second race in Bahrain, Leclerc should have won it. Fourth race in Baku, Leclerc should have won it. Um, you know, I think Monaco, they, they, they didn't send him out in qualifying and he dropped back. So once you add it all up, actually, he should have gone to Abu Dhabi into the last race, only nine points behind Lewis. The championship battle should have still been alive if you, if you add up all of the, the errors along the way. So I think, I, I think yes, it, it was flattered a little bit, certainly in week one, because Mercedes arrived in the second week with about 1,200 new parts on the car uh, and brought a massive upgrade. Um, and then they, they, I think by their own admission, it took till the last couple of days for them to finally unlock the potential of their car. They went through a range of setup, and on the last day, you started to see signs that, that they were there. So I, I still stand by what we saw in, in, um, in Barcelona, but I think the fact that Mercedes took so long to unlock their potential slightly flattered Ferrari's pace. 
I remember interviewing John Owen for F1 Racing magazine for the, the issue before last, maybe, the issue that's still on the shelves, and, and he said that actually there were some discussions within Mercedes around that first test along the lines of, have we done the right thing with our front wing? And they kind of thought, okay, well, you know, we can't change it now because it'll take us six months to change it. We, we have to just kind of push through, have faith, and, and that has borne out. But he also said, actually, Ferrari's concept could have more road in it. They just haven't got there yet. I think that's one of the things about Mercedes is that they do have that confidence in their own systems and they don't suddenly go, oh, there's not that self-doubt or they don't blame other people within the team. It's all right. This is what we've got. How do we maximise it? And I'm sure you'll have seen that when you drove the car. It's just they've got this, they're all working in one direction, aren't they? So they can kind of make work whatever they've got. They're a very harmonious race team. That's, that's the impression I get. And, you know, when you talk to the race engineers, they've all worked together for so long. You know, uh, Andrew Shovlin, who heads the, the trackside engineering, was Jensen's engineer back in the Braun days. But, you know, they've all been around through the Honda, the BAR days. Um, you know, Pete Bonington's won the last, those five championships with Lewis. Um, not the last five, but, you know, the five he's won at Mercedes. Um, and, and they've all worked together in such good harmony. They're all competitive. They all want to win. But, but they also, they're genuinely friends who go to work together. And I think that creates a really good environment and a working atmosphere and you have to give credit to Toto because he's he's the one who's given them the tools to thrive you know it's small things that add up it's a it's a long season now with 22 races and it's the little things where he you know on a back-to-back he organizes a, a charter for them to get back from the race to Oxford Airport, which means they could see their families for a couple of days before going back out to the next one. And that just gives these guys a break. It gives them the, the, the mental um, uh, energy to last the season and to, to be fresh every time they get to the racetrack and recharge their batteries in the right way. And, and that's, you know, you, you have to really respect his management style where he's, it's all about empowering the employees. To be, to, to be fair to Ferrari, Bonotto hasn't been there that long, has he? They've, he made the point um, uh, to, to Scott Mitchell in a, in a piece of running the magazine this week um, that it's quite a new team, even though everyone there is experienced. They're that's not experienced. That's because they get fired every five minutes. Well, but, yeah, and, and, but I think he wants to stop that. I think he seems to be quite a sort of sensible head, um, but he needs to get everyone comfortable in their position. So, in theory, Ferrari should have much more capacity to improve as everyone sort of gets used gets used to the new new structure and the new positions because it's it, it it it's almost sort of like game of thrones but without the gratuitous nookie and 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 dragons in the in the ferrari for the for the past few seasons hasn't it you had one year where they had three different team principals you had one guy come in and then he was booted out again at the end of, of the year and how how far is that a distant spec in the rearview mirror now I think they've got the right person now, though, in charge. Um, you know, I, I like Matthias approach. Uh, he's much more open than the team principals we've had in the past. You can, uh, you can have an honest conversation with him in the paddock. And he's, he's um, I think, w- within the garage and within the people um, who work for the team, he's certainly more popular than his predecessor, which is, which is good. Um, they've got Laura Meckes in there now who runs the sort of day-to-day sporting operations of it. And he's a good guy with a lot of experience. He was at Torosso before and worked with the FIA. So he's, he knows the system and knows the sport very well. So they've got all the tools, but Ferrari have always had the tools in, in many ways. You know, I think, yes, the leadership has changed, but 
if you look across, we're celebrating 70 years of autosport, but you look at the, the, you know, the years of um, Ferrari's presence in F1, and they've always been one of the best funded teams with the best resources and great drivers very often, more often than not. Um, and, and yet they haven't capitalized on it as much as Mercedes have in recent times or Red Bull before them. If you look at you know, percentage of success, they had the Schumacher, Braun, Rory Burr, and Jean Todd era, and you had the Lauder era, and, and before that you go into the 50s. But if you look at from the end of the Schumacher era until now, you know, they haven't yet, they haven't won a world championship since Kimi in, in 07, which is quite a long time for a team with that level of resource, success, and, and strong drivers. Should we talk about their drivers? Because that, that, that has been another bone of contention this year, that Sebastian Vettel has arguably underperformed. Charles Leclerc, who is going to be a guest here tomorrow, has emerged as kind of a superstar, but almost not quite a fully formed superstar. You know, he had some troubles in qualifying early in the season, putting together a lap. Where, where do you think he is in terms of his career, and where is Vettel in his career? Well, I think, I think we saw with Leclerc, like the big um, weakness of his first season, I mean, it wasn't a big weakness really, it was an amazing rookie season um, in 2018, but he couldn't get his qualifying laps together, could he? He, was, he had a very low percentage of ideal laps in, in the, whichever was the qual- final qualifying session he was in. And he fixed that during the course of 2019, so that by the end of the year, he, he was pretty much on top of Vettel, who has been actually very good at that in the past. And... Vettel, I think, has psychologically just lost to Lewis Hamilton now. Every time there's a wheel-to-wheel battle, he's going into it knowing subconsciously the number of times where he's ended up spinning or losing out. Lewis has kind of got him clocked, whereas that's not the same with Leclerc. Leclerc's still getting better. It's difficult to see. I mean, Vettel's a great guy, obviously, four world championships, and and I don't think he's done. I think we'll see him win races. But in terms of a championship fight, I think Leclerc has got more potential to get up to the Hamilton level than Vettel has now. I don't know if you agree with that, Karun. I think this is a big year for Sebastian, isn't it? Um, you know, he's, it's been a difficult couple of years for him, as you mentioned. And this is a big year because Charles now is very well established in the team. He's been signed up till 2024. They, they've gone, right, he's our man, he's our future. And I think this is a big year for Seb to determine how long he stays at Ferrari and stays in F1. So I'll be fascinated to see how that plays out. He's still obviously very quick. You know, pole lap in Japan was sensational. Quali laps in Austin and Brazil were sensational. So, you know, there's no lack of speed. Um, it's, It's now across the 21 races... Has he got the fire there to take the fight to, to Charles? I mean, the Russian Grand Prix was interesting, wasn't it? Because quite apart from the ignoring the team orders thing, which I think showed, uh, showed how much he wanted it, but also the pace he had in that steer. Yep. It wasn't like Leclerc was just driving around behind him, waiting for him to get out of the way. Like, he went for it and pulled out a gap. So he has yep. still got that pace in there. Yeah, and I think, to be fair to him, the, the car didn't really suit him until Singapore. Um, you know, Sebastian's a driver where... In the medium-slow speed corners, he likes to rotate the car and pivot it, and he needs a strong rear end um, to, to give him the confidence to attack. And he didn't have that until Ferrari brought quite a big update to Singapore. And when they did that, he then won the Singapore race with a brilliant outlap after the pit stop. Um, and then in Russia, I completely agree with you, it was the first time, that first stint in Russia was the first time I watched it and thought, that's the Sebastian Vettel of old. He's got the confidence. He's, he's able to attack the corner entries in the way he wants. That, that's the Vettel that won those four world championships that's been missing for a little while. So if they can build on that for 2020, he should be in there. 
I think the elephant in the room here really is the sheer brilliance of Lewis Hamilton, isn't it? Because once again last year, Lewis found another level, didn't he? He just seems to be able to build through the year. You sometimes start off with Valtteri Bottas if he's had his porridge and you know the, the moon's align or whatever. Valtteri can stick a, a car up the Mercedes on pole and win. But then Lewis just seems to be able to dig deep, find a little bit more. At age 35, is he going to be able to carry on doing that? Does he, does he have targets in mind? Oh, I'm sure he does. That's, that's why he's been so successful for so long. I mean, he's talked about even imagining a ghost car that's quick, even if he's on pole and quickest and disappearing down the road, that there's still something to, to aim towards and get better. So he's pushing himself all the time. I mean, Bottas has said, yeah, uh, it, beating him for the first weekend in a season or the second weekend is one thing, but maintaining that level of performance for 21, 22 races is, is, is such a high benchmark. And he doesn't give away points now. It's really hard to think of crucial points. Okay, I know there was the clash with Albon in Brazil, but it was done and dusted by them. But he doesn't give away any points. And I think in 2018, when the Ferrari was good, uh, Vettel gave away points and Hamilton didn't. And Hamilton actually won it quite easily in the end. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, you know Vettel lost the 18 championship as much as Lewis won it. But I get slightly annoyed because we um, you know, often get criticised with the TV coverage that we're all too biased towards Lewis. But how can you be biased when the guy's delivering on track? He's won 50% of the world championships in the last 12 years. You know, he's won six out of the last 12 world championships. That's an, it's an extraordinary achievement. Um, and he's still motivated. He still delivers. You know, when, when, when you get to Q3 and there's one lap to do it, you know, you, if you line them all up and, right, you go, there's two minutes of qualifying, off you go, all of you set out the pit lane, He's the guy you'll put your money on to deliver the perfect lap. And, and you know, that's why he, you know, Mark Webber um, came up with a great line, which is he is the best qualifier in F1 since Ayrton Senna. And I think that's absolutely true. And that sets him up for the Sunday. Yeah, and I was speaking to Derek Warwick about this because I was doing a Schumacher versus Hamilton piece. And he, he raced against Marco, and obviously he's been a race steward during most of Lewis's career. And he made the point of, uh, it's very difficult to rate the now. Everyone always looks to what was great before. Is we probably won't appreciate Hamilton's place until he has retired and gone. And then we go, oh, that was pretty amazing. He's also um, a proper gentleman on track, isn't he? You know, he, he races clean. You look at that little knock he had with Albon. He was going for a gap, and it was kind of a legitimate gap until it closed. You could say that Alex Albon sort of left the door open a little bit and then went, mm, I'm going to turn into the corner. But Lewis came out and said, oh, that was my fault immediately afterwards. Probably shouldn't admit a liability in a shunt, but I think that shows what a complete driver he is, that he's, he's got to where he has been by being clean. Yeah, you're right. I mean, how often do you see him knock off the front wing on a first lap incident or have the, you know, the spin on the opening lap or just get caught up in incidents. You don't really see that happening. I think he's, he's, he's very, very good in that, in that way, I think, in terms of not making errors, not putting himself in the wrong place at the wrong time, um, you know, the, the Brazil incident aside. So I think on the whole, you have to say that he has been the best driver of this of this last decade or this generation, really. I think he also is, he cares about the way he wins, doesn't he? So he, you know, he you know, giving his place back to Bottas in Hungary a couple of years ago. He doesn't take people off. Like the deliberate moves, there aren't the shoey chop type stuff. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a purist. I didn't like the Senna Schumacher win at all costs, having people off stuff. And actually, Alonso, Button, and Hamilton have kind of helped reset that. And I don't, 
even Nico Rosberg actually could have just in Abu Dhabi in 2016 when Lewis was trying to back him up he could have just gone oh I missed my breaking point we've both gone off I've won the championship never mind but he didn't do that either and I feel like we sort of almost reset that now and I think people also forget you know we're seeing all the three ten success and people say you know he's been in the best car at Mercedes which is which is obviously true uh, in recent years but let's you know you just had Lando on stage and uh, we've had some three we've had three or four very good rookies come through um, F1 recent times uh, and we've often said you know they've done really well for rookie year up against Carlos or um, you know if you look at Albon against Kvyat and things like that you know let's take a step back remember Lewis in his rookie season against Fernando Alonso took the championship battle down to the final round uh, and only lost by a point and and really he should have won it if not for the China um, you know, error where they should have pitted a couple of laps earlier. So, you know, I think people forget actually how good he was from the minute he arrived in Formula One. And, um, yeah, he, he, he deserves, uh, he deserves every, every bit of praise that I think. And as much as some people think we're being biased, I, I disagree. I think he deserves every bit of praise that he gets. Should we pick up on the, on the thread of those rookies? Because we've got Lando here this weekend. I hope his ears aren't burning if he's still backstage there in the green room. But, to my mind, all, all, all three of the rookies put on brilliant performances this season. Let, let's, let's focus on Lando for now, given that he's our guest here this weekend. Uh, for me, just pu- putting the McLaren in through to Q3 from the very first race was quite a marker, wasn't it? And that in a team that had lost some of its self-belief after quite a few miserable years. At most of the decade, McLaren have been absolutely terrible. I think the Norris science lineup has been really refreshing for the team. It's all sort of come together as an angel. Andreas Seidel's come in from Porsche. Um, but to be fair, they've they, they taken a long, hard look at themselves. I think when they went from the Honda engine to the Renault, they were expecting to just suddenly move forward on the grid, and it didn't happen. And I think that then kick-started some changes that, that really needed to take place. And I'm a huge Fernando Alonso fan. I think he's fantastic. I think his record doesn't, won't show what it should have done in Formula 1. But I think having a having science and noise come in there they're having a great time they're down at the factory you know you hear stories of them buying donuts for the people on the, you know that that kind of stuff you know it gets a nice feeling going obviously they then delivering on track as well and i think you, you do need a bit of that positivity and it's kind of it's been a good reset for mclaren i think i, I think it's been a breakout year for carlos Sainz. really i think he's he's been sensational this year um when we did our pub cast at uh, at my local pub um, you know, I, I rated him as my third best driver of the year behind Lewis and Max. I think he, he's, he scored the points on, on an incredibly consistent basis this year. Uh, Lando was very, very competitive against him in qualifying. If you look on the Saturdays, particularly in the first half, um, Lando was sensational compared to Carlos. Um, and, and actually across the year, he, he beat him just by one, didn't he, in, in, on the stats. But it was on the Sundays that Carlos was really very good. Very good first laps, executed strategy very well, just, just you know, drove with a, with a good head. A bit like his dad, really. If you, you know, he, Carlos Sainz Sr., very cerebral rally driver. If you talk to David Richards, um, you know, he'll, he'll tell you all about that. And I think, I think this was a big year for Carlos Sainz to establish himself. And I, I suspect people at Red Bull are slightly regretting now that they didn't have him, him available. To, um, to put alongside Max at the big team. 
they've done quite a shoddy job of managing their talent of Red Bull, haven't they, over the past few years? They allowed Carlos to go. They've sort of moved a few people around. They, they sort of burned Pierre Gasly very quickly this past year and then maybe sort of... I'm not sure if they've regretted it just yet, but he's in limbo. Alex Albon's there. He's, he's done very, very well. But you kind of wonder, who, who are they slotting up next? I think that's a little bit harsh in the sense that Red Bull did bring through Sebastian Vettel and then Max Verstappen to lead their lineup over the last. And Daniel Ricciardo, I know that wasn't too bad either. I exist here so, to be proved so, wrong. So slightly Caroon's going to be the next one. To slightly prove harsh. I think they've probably not got the, the, the depth of the junior talents coming through that they have had in the past. But I mean, that's you, you can rebuild that. I mean, they've got Yuri Vips, who I think is you know, he, he's really talented. Um, I think you know Dan Tickson was on their books, obviously, but things out away from the track damage that relationship. But so I think that yeah, they're 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 perhaps going through a weakness at the moment. But they've they've got been able to put Albon in alongside Verstappen. I think it's a big year for Albon actually. Yep. Difficult second Albon, you might say. Yeah, because he actually was only about a tenth or so closer than uh, than Gasly. But you'd say what's well, well, his first year? Is it, it wasn't on average. It was, it was pretty. It was pretty marginal, it was equal, wasn't it? Really, yeah, yeah. But, but I think the difference was also that he didn't get bogged down in the exactly. midfield. He was able to make progress. Um, but you mm-hmm. want him to be closer. You yep. want him to be close enough at Hungary that you, Lewis and Mercedes can't pick exactly. come new tyres. They, they don't need a driver alongside uh, Max to beat Max in the same way that Mercedes don't need a driver to beat Lewis. But they need a driver who's going to capitalise in the way that Valtteri did this year, on a, on a weekend where Lewis, for whatever reason, can't get the win, Valtteri's there, like in Japan, like in Baku, you know, th- those key moments where, where the second car is there to allow, uh, you know, allow the team to get the win. And, and that's what Red Bull haven't had, and, and they need that. They absolutely need... If they're going to be challenging for the championship, they need the second car to be right up there. So I completely agree. It's a big year for Alex Albon. Um, I'd love to see you... Uh, have a conversation with Helmut Marko and tell him he's dropped the ball on his driver program. I think that'll be fantastic. If we can get a little, you know, one of those sort of big brother cameras watching you have that conversation, I think that'll be a YouTube hit. What, what an even bigger YouTube hit than my Singapore GP packing video. Well, this is true. For everyone here, in case you haven't seen it already, and I've discussed this a lot over the last two days, but the worst video on YouTube by a long margin is Stuart Codling doing a how-to-pack-a-bag for the Singapore Grand Prix. It is appalling. Um, you know, this is how I pack my underpants. and So it is, it is terrible. But, yeah, if you my, want to My only defence is that it's deliberately appalling. Now, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> where are we in terms of time? We've still got plenty of time left. This is your reminder, those of us watching us here live in Birmingham, that if you have a question for my guests here, the first five of you who ask questions will receive a coveted... Autosport baseball cap signed by our guest Lando Norris. It's a massive rarity, so enjoy. My colleague Sunny is there. Been suffering with a cold as poor Sunny, but she's been she's been working through it fantastically. She's getting ready to, for you to pitch your questions, but we, we'll 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 move a little bit further down the grid now to, to to the other midfielders in the battle. It has been so tight that battle in the midfield this year, hasn't it? So so McLaren have kind of emerged ahead by a nose. Each team in that midfield battle has had to have two cars in play for, for, when, for when the time comes that they're at the front, haven't they? It's, it's, it's the teams who only really arguably got one strong driver that have suffered. Well, that's where Racing Point struggled, wasn't it? Because, you know, Lance Stroll has sort of really struggled to, because of his qualifying pace. 
he's always on the back foot. He's actually quite good on the first laps. He's like a piece of elastic, but, isn't he? Boing. But yeah, he can't. He just can't get to the. He can very rarely get into the points from where he's starting because it is so close. And then Perez is so good at executing a race. He's so good at looking after the tyres while also lapping quickly. I mean, on av- the average pace um, last year, the racing point was the slowest car apart from the Williams, and yet he would have finished, I think, second in Class B, uh, which is that's that's pretty amazing. He's a sort of a perfect midfield driver, really. But you're absolutely right. You need you need your Science and your Norris to be scoring the points all yeah. the time. T- TV's David Croft had an each-way bet on, on Lance Stroll for, to, to win or, or be on the podium for the German Grand Prix, and which was why he screamed quite so loudly when Lance went off. Uh, yeah, this is true. He screamed a lot when he came back to the office as well. Um, but I think, yeah, the midfield battle has been great. I mean, we've talked about um, this year being a big season for Sebastian, a big season for Albon. I think it's a big season for Renault as well. You know, they, they're a factory team. Um, who have slipped last year behind their customer team, certainly in terms of the engines. So they, they have at least, as a big factory outfit, got to set their sights on beating McLaren. Um, McLaren themselves, you know, they, they want to stay in front. They've only got, I think it's just another year, isn't it, on the, on the Renault engine deal, and then they go to Mercedes for 21. So um, that battle is going to be really interesting. I mean... Uh, the, the gamble Daniel's taken to leave the Red Bull family and go there. So, you know, that, that's, it's a, he's got two more years, really, hasn't it, for that to work out? What I like about the Renault approach is that they've not given themselves any excuses on the driver front, have they? They've got Ricardo no. and they've got Ocon, who yeah. is sort of the, the sort of anti-Verstappen, if you like, of the junior categories. Yeah, exactly. So they've, they've really got no, no two, excuses at all now. Exactly. They've got um, two brilliant future talents behind the wheel. Um, but they've got... Also, I think they've hired some really good people in recent times. I think um, Pat Fry and Dirk DeBeer are both two very good signings for that team. Um, you know, they'll bring some fresh eyes, fresh approach. Uh, Dirk DeBeer did a very good job, I thought, at Ferrari. If you look at the 17 car, I think was was one of his cars, which was a competitive chassis at Ferrari. Uh, and Pat Fry has done a very good job at McLaren in recent times. Um, so I think I'll be interested to see how soon they can they can start to, to have an effect. They're the great hope, aren't they? Because at the moment, the gap between the big three and the midfield is too much to bridge. I mean, we hope the 2021 rules will help reduce that anyway, but Renault are probably the only ones there that have got the potential and the budget to actually start to bridge that gap. And that's why 2019 was so disappointing, really, because it, it just didn't happen and they got jumped by McLaren. It's interesting you mentioned Pat Fry because he's been um, given a, a, a fairly decent share of the credit for McLaren's renaissance for them designing a better car because he came back as a consultant to engineer last, last year's McLaren. And then he's gone back to Rayo in this sort of slightly undefined role. The, the, the technical director, Nick Chester, has left. There's talk connecting him with Williams uh, this year. But... Does that really work? Can you just parachute someone into an organisation? And if, if Pat hasn't started yet at Renault in his as-yet-undefined role, it's certainly too late to influence the design of, of this year's car. So that's actually quite tricky. Are we talking about Renault having another, what do we call it, an interim season? It's that dread phrase when, you, when, when, you, when your football team's sort of struggling a little bit and they say, oh, it's an interim season. Well, it's, it's about the, you know, the progress through the year as well. You know, I, I fully appreciate your point that the concept and the design for this year's car is more or less done uh, a while ago. But these days, they're bringing updates, they're bringing upgrades, they're, they're improving the car. It's no longer, 
you know, like the days in the past where you'd get a, a Barcelona update, you'd get a Canada low downforce package, um, and then there'd be another update towards the end of the season. Nowadays, literally, you know, when, when I landed in China last year, the number of big boxes that were coming through the airport with all the teams, just carrying updates, um, you know, that were being flown out to these races. And they're just every weekend, it's relentless now. And someone like Pat Fry can, can, can just help with the direction of that. You know, listen, guys, do we really want to rush the update for this weekend? Let's, or do we need to spend a bit more time? Or conversely, right, I think there's big performance here. Let's, let's push it through. Let's get it done. Forget bringing it for the next race. Let's do it for this one and things like that. So, yeah, they can, they can certainly have an effect. Well, that's where the big, the big money, the big manufacturers really pays off, doesn't it? Because you've got the, the funding to do it. You've got the people to design it and make the most of it and all the rest of it. So that's why it's so hard to get up to that level because they're moving all the time. And, and hopefully Pat at Renault will be able to, yeah, perhaps give them some shortcuts to, to, to get closer. Now, before we throw to the crowd, should we talk about Alpha Tori, as we're going to have to call them this year, Toro Rosso? For me, the surprise package of 2019, they... Uh, they moved forward quite significantly seemed to be a very clever way of, of, of designing the car kind of cherry picking the best bits of Red Bull and then focusing their resource on on the bits that they could actually influence and really engineering a decent car yeah uh, and for that reason it wasn't really a surprise to me uh, to be honest you know in the past they insisted on on doing their own car and doing their own concept and uh, and sort of plowing their own own path in Faenza when really it was just so much easier to send a truck up to Milton Keynes and get a load of bits which you know are going to be successful and competitive and reliable. So that's what they did. Um, I think it helped that for the first time in recent times they, um, uh, they you know, not only had the same power unit but the same power unit spec uh, in terms of Honda so they, Honda could use all four cars to, to try things and you know, while the big team at Red Bull had no Honda related uh, reliability issues in the Grand Prix this year you know, both Torosos went through seven, seven power units each, I think, didn't they, on, on their cycle. So you could see a bit of a, a bigger strategy there. I think um, they, they, as a race team, I think they do a very good job. Um, I think I, I really, I have a lot of time for Jody Eggington, their technical director. I think Jonathan Edels, their, their sort of chief race engineer who runs the race team operations on the weekend. They're both really good, sensible racing people who've been around the block, they do things in a very methodical way. Uh, I've got a lot of time for them. And, and you know, they, they really enjoy working with young drivers. They, they understand that they, they need to help these drivers and mold them, which is why I think Gasly, when he got back in the Toro Rosso, really thrived. The thing that was good about the season... Uh, their season last year, I thought, was how much more consistent they were, probably as a result of having the greater Red Bull um, relationship, if you like. But they, they've been a bit up and down in the past, haven't they? They'd be really quick at one event and then be at the back of the midfield, and that was a little bit less, less the case in 2019. So, yeah, really, a, a really good, strong little, strong little team, really. Can I press you a little bit more on the subject of Pierre Gasly, Karun? Because at the beginning of the year with Red Bull, we were hearing talk of all sorts of stuff. He was struggling to drive the car, and he was... Um, we, we, we heard all, all sorts of talk about him having wanting the, the seat changed between various sessions. Oh, the, the seat's not comfy enough. I'm not sitting in the right place. Can you change where the pedals are? And he just seemed to be all at sea. And then when, when he moved back to Toro Rosso, it seemed to gel again. What, what, what was it that turned things around for him? I think he, for, for whatever reason, he just didn't get on with the Red Bull car. And his confidence took a massive knock early on. He had two big accidents 
Uh, you had one big accident in preseason testing, which did a lot of damage, um, uh, including the gearbox, and it cost Max Verstappen running, and it really upset the team. And, you know, early on in the season, it, it, it just, the results weren't coming, and the car was difficult to drive, which didn't help his confidence. Um, and, and he just went into the spiral. And I think when he got in the Toro Rosso, I, I, was, I was massively impressed with him because that, that took a lot of mental strength. You know, you've been dropped from Red Bull, your dream opportunity to join a top team. It's not gone well. You've been dropped into Toro Rosso and it would have been easier to just spiral. And instead, actually, he quite convincingly beat Kvyat in the last part of that season. He uh, showed really good mental resolve, I thought, to to bounce back and genuinely earn his place in that team for next year. I think he, um, you know, maybe he's just one of these drivers who, who it didn't happen for him with the pressure of the top team. Do you think he'll get another chance at a top team? Or do you think he's now going to be sort of in that Hulkenberg, Perez, midfield forever type situation? You know, the, the, every time someone asks me a question like that, I often think back to how you just expect the unexpected, you know, Look at Kefia. He's, you know, been a, a Toroso, been a rebel, got dropped, came back, got dropped, and he's back again. And um, I mean, I always point back to the fact that Alonso went back to McLaren. If that can happen, anything can happen. <laughs> That's the Kvyat caveat, you might say. Uh, sorry, ladies and gentlemen. No, playing, I won't say that. They're, they're playing Codders Bingo in the Autosport.com office backstage, so we have to slip those in. So, who wants to have a Lando Norris baseball cap? Sonny, who... Yeah, I'll, I'll leave this to you. you. Do you want to move along or do you want to move to the middle? Or, yeah, you, you can't walk past people. Sir, what's your question and to whom are you addressing it? Um, morning, guys. Um, for morning. Karun, um, when you have the chance to drive the Mercedes and kind of throughout your F1 career, how do you mentally prepare to get in the car and once you're in the cockpit, what's kind of going through your head? It comes with experience. You know, it's, it's a mix of, of nervousness and excitement. Um, and... and I go back to the first time I drove an F1 car, and I still remember, I still remember actually the first lap. Um, I'd done a bunch of straight line testing, quite a few days of straight line testing, but the first test I did was in Barcelona in, at the end of 2007. And, you know, you're, you're nervous, you don't want to shunt it, you don't want to do a bad job, but you're excited because that's a big box in your dream. You know, I, you know, I come from India where F1 seemed so far away, and there I was driving, um, and, and that test was um, Schumacher had come back to drive the Ferrari, and, you know, at one point, I think it was about 11 in the morning, I remember driving out the pit lane, and I was following Michael out the pit lane, I thought, it's just unbelievable, you know, I had the poster on the wall of, of Michael winning this world championship, and, um, yeah, I think it's, it's nervous excitement, but once you've come through the junior formula and you've done the years of racing, you... That, that becomes your safe space. It becomes your natural environment. So it, it, in many ways, it does feel natural. Um, you know, I, I was surprised actually getting in the Merc how, yes, there was a lot going on before because, you know, you're running through all the systems on the steering wheel and going through all the procedures and all the buttons and stuff. And that, all that's a little bit daunting. Um, and just because of how much there is nowadays. But actually, once you fired up the engine and you let the clutch go and you go down the pit lane, then your, your natural instincts kick in, really. So, yeah, I think, I think nervous excitement is, 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 a, is the best way to describe it. Well, you've earned yourself a baseball cap there. Where's Sonny? Who's next? Who's next? Thank you very much. Your, uh, sir, your question. This is for you both, really. We're celebrating 70 years. That's looking backwards. Looking forward, 
How long do you think we'll retain the uh, aspirated engine? Do you think it will go straight to electric or possibly something like hydrogen? I actually think there's a big philosophical discussion to be had about what should Formula One be at the moment. And I know these conversations are happening, of course, but, you know, should Formula One be road relevant, in which case should we go down the path of electric or hydrogen? But on the flip side, I look at the whole furore about the lack of noise in this hybrid era um, you know, every time we wheel out a V10 from the Williams Heritage stuff, you know, I took the Montoya V10 BMW car at Goodwood, and, and the crowd just went nuts. You know, it sounds incredible, 20,000 RPM, um, and you can hear it before you could see it, and that, that gives you goosebumps. And so then I take a step back and think, hang on a second, should F1 just be sporting entertainment like football or cricket or the NFL or basketball. They've got nothing to do with the real world, but they're sporting entertainment for, for fans to enjoy. Um, in which case, they become the loudest, fastest, sexiest cars with the fast, best drivers on the best tracks, and they're just entertainment. So I think that's a philosophical question, which uh, uh, I would answer saying yes. I think that's what F1 should be, the pinnacle. Um, and, and then you can allow other categories like sports cars and formerly to perhaps do the, the road car development. I, I had this debate with Nigel Robot, who was unsurprisingly very much for let's have V10s and V12s and all the rest of it, which would be a fantastic spectacle. But I think your point there about making sure it's still the pinnacle and having top drivers, manufacturers, because my point was, well, manufacturers will leave the sport. And he was like, great, let them go. Let it all be, you know, the Frank Williamses and the Ron Dennises of this world, which would be great for the short term. But longer term, I think that manufacturers would still be doing something else. And where the manufacturers go, the money goes which is where the top drivers would end up. So I think eventually F1 would lose its preeminence if you just did that. Um, yep. So I think it needs to keep some... Ele- I don't think it needs to go all... Yeah, we've got Formula E, you're right. I think we've got other elements of the sport that can do those. Um, I spoke to an engineer about, oh, where do you think that road cars are going? Is it going to be electric straight away? And he said, oh, I think the next 20, 30 years are going to be in that hybrid area, just be getting those better before we do the full switch. So I think F1, in that sense, is probably in the right sort of place at the moment. It just needs to tweak some of the... It's the aero rules that cause a lot of the problems, not the engines. Yeah, the, the, the argument is, is, all, you know, is, is on the flip side. If it's still the sport that most fans want to watch and the most eyeballs are watching as a sporting entertainment contest, manufacturers sponsor cricket. Nissan are the worldwide partner of the ICC World Cup. Um, Mercedes, Daimler would sponsor other sports. So I, I'm saying, you know... you. Just because historically it's been so closely linked in terms of a, a manufactured development platform, to answer the gentleman's question about in the future, does it just become sporting contest as an entertainment sporting contest? That, that, that's where I think there's, um, you know, there's perhaps a movement to go away from where the road car development is. I, I completely see that point of view, but I, I don't think we're going to end up with internal combustion. I don't think we're going to go back to just internal combustion. I'd be very surprised. I think it's moving uh, away from... I think hybrid is a sensible place at the moment, really, while while those debates are happening. Road relevance, yes, for the manufacturer's standpoint, it works, but, you know, I don't know how many people in the grandstand or or at home watching on television know how big an engine is in the Formula 1 car. You know, how how many people know it's a 1.6-litre V6? Uh, how, How many people... How many people really care about how many gears are in it or things like that. I think it's from a, from a marketing standpoint 
having it as a hybrid, I see the value in that, absolutely. But beyond that, I'm not so sure. Maybe it's not road relevance, maybe it's social relevance then, because yep. whether we like it or not, those... Yeah, the things that, like that, that I agree. energy yeah. and, and efficiency and all that is more and more a thing that everyone is thinking about and accept has to be part of your future plan. And going, we're going to go back to 20,000 RPM, 3-litre V10s is probably not going to get anywhere near ticking that, ticking that box. Shall we have our next question? You know, the, the, this, this, this chap here is, is very eager. Do you feel with McLaren Mercedes partnering up for 2021, do you feel that some of their progress could be undone because... As we can see, Racing Point and Williams, even though, yes, they have a Mercedes power unit, it's not just about the engine. So do you think they could actually become backmarkers if uh, they can't uh, manage to put their car into properly with the engine? No, I, 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 don't think that'll be, I don't think that'll be an issue because ultimately the Mercedes and the Ferrari power units, I think, have still been a step ahead of Honda and Renault. Um, so I think, no, I think it will, it will be a benefit. And I think Racing Points and Williams' problems have not been the, the Mercedes. I mean, there might be a transitional period. There always is, isn't there, when you're getting a new, you know, you're bringing in a new engine manufacturer. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, we know that the Mercedes power plant is at least going to be as good as, as the next best. So it's, it, it's, it's probably a win for them, I would have thought. Uh, and they're very clever people down at Brixworth where they build the Mercedes engines. Like, you go, it, it's somewhere in this weird hinterland between Leicester and Northampton, off an industrial estate and it's this sort of glittering technological palace and they, they don't call it a factory they call it a campus and it's got an in-house gym it's got apparently better catering facilities than the, the Mercedes chassis factory itself and they do everything they can to get the, mo- the brightest, cleverest engineers so they really do put together a great package and I, th- I think they've basically dominated the, the hybrid era because they were so dominant, they had, they had such a good engine in the last years of the V8 era that they're able to say, actually, our, our, our engine's in the ballpark. We can stop developing that now. We can spend 2012, 2013 developing our hybrid unit. Yes. I think it shows how, how far um, Ferrari have come with the engine that it's now the Mercedes aero package that's probably the thing that gave them the advantage. When you think when the hybrids came in, yeah, it was the engine disparity was so massive, it didn't really matter. You know, Red Bull had obviously been producing the best car for years and suddenly they were, they were nowhere. But we have, you know, like Karim was saying earlier, we've had rule stability and it, it, is, it is closing up at the front. Um, it's just Red Bull, for different reasons, Red Bull and Ferrari have to give, give fewer points away. And Karun Jandok didn't argue with me right there. That's brilliant. Shows how right I am. Marvellous. Shall we have one more question? Is, is that the last of our baseball cups? Oh, there, there's someone... Is that, is that a 33 down there? Oh, yes. I think he's a Max Verstappen fan. I think he might just be. Let's go Dutch on this question. When you were in Formula E, did you ever think people would be asking you, but do you think Formula E would pass Formula 1 as the top tier of motorsport? Um, I think that a lot of people, and I joined Formula E before it even started, really, um, and I, I helped to introduce one of the teams to the championship and then drove the first year. Um, nobody knew where it was going to go. No, you know, we didn't know what the cars would be like. Um, the first, I'll never forget the first day we got, so we've all got one, all the teams got one car each first, and Bruno Senna was my teammate, and it was absolutely pouring with rain. It was freezing cold. And we stood there going, I'm not sure I want to be the first person to drive this electric car in the pouring rain because I don't know what's going to happen. So Bruno and I stood there going, and I said, well, you go first. And he went, no, you go first. And this went on and on. Um, And eventually, 
um, we sort of persuaded him that I, I persuaded him that he had to have a go first. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was that sort of stuff. We had no idea what it was going to be like, and um, you know, it, it was it was interesting. But I think on the whole, and I think they've done a very good job getting manufacturers in. I think they've got good cities, a good calendar. But I, I still think they have a long way to go behind to you know to to even if they one day get close to competing against Formula One as the pinnacle. I think the they they it doesn't mean that they can't coexist, and I think. I actually think it's wrong to compare them. I think it's, and whenever people ask me that question, I think uh, it's wrong to compare. I think they can all coexist. There's a place in the same way that Formula One and sports cars at Le Mans and NASCAR and IndyCar all have their own verticals and their own way of coexisting in this sport. I think Formula E will have its own vertical and you'll have its own electric ladder. But uh, maybe I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an old school purist, a traditionalist, but I believe Formula One should be the pinnacle, and that's that's uh, sort of my view. I think that's a really good point about motorsport as a whole. Actually, I think sometimes it's very bad at fighting with each other. You get sports car fans slagging off F1, who slag off Formula E, but actually we should be saying motorsport is all these things. We're exploring all these options. It's got, you know, depending on what you like. You and know, I, it, and it's I'm brilliant that you exactly. can pick and pick and choose from those. Exactly. I, I hate when people say the you know, oh, Formula 1's, oh, the sports car fans, you go to Le Mans, they go, oh, isn't this great? Formula 1's rubbish. You must be so happy. And I said, well, that's not true. I loved racing at Le Mans. It was one of the highlights of my life, racing at Le Mans. But it doesn't mean Formula 1's rubbish. It just means that this is also good. Um, you know, just, and, and I think, you know, I'm a fan of motorsport. I love MotoGP. I, I, I go to stand on a grass bank at Snetterton to watch Formula 3 because I like watching motorsport. And I think, that, that's important for people to do, is not bash one or, or compare one to the other. Right, one more baseball cap, one more question before we vacate the stage. Thank you, Sonny. Hi, Mike. He's Hi, my Mike. old neighbor. Karun, <laughs> uh, do you think that uh, Lewis will end his career at Ferrari? <laughs> that's, a, that's an excellent question. Um, I don't know. Uh, I'd, l I'd like to see it happen, to be honest, just because now we've got Leclerc signed. Having Leclerc versus Lewis in the same team, I think it'll be sensational for people to watch. But for that very reason, I don't think it'll happen now. I, I don't think Ferrari will put Lewis against Leclerc. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that. It'd be, it'd be a great story for us. I mean, actually, I was thinking, what can Lewis really do to add to his... Now, when you're, you're stacking up the list of great drivers, what can he do now to really add to it? Okay, he'd probably be another... World Championship, Max Schumacher's records, but I think what would would make a difference is if he went to Ferrari and won a World Championship where Alonso and Vettel had failed. That'd be that'd be an amazing incredible. story. But I think yeah, time has moved on. Also, Mercedes are very good at looking after their drivers longer term, aren't they? When they retire, uh, and it's such a big risk for him to go out of that. Just to, it's kind of romantic, especially as Senna obviously always said he was going to end his career there, and Lewis looks up to Senna. So I think it's a romantic story, but I think when Toto Wolff said it's 25% likely, that's probably a fair, that's probably a fair grading, really. We must wrap this up. Thank you very much, Kevin Turner. Thank you. Thank you very much, Karun Chandok. Thank you. Thank you very much to all of you for putting up with this arrant nonsense for the past hour. Enjoy the rest of the show. Thank you.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. By now, you know that sound. It's the sound of the Home Depot. But what about that sound? You're listening to a set of GE appliances, complete with all you need to keep food fresh, dishes clean, and everything else stress-free. Making this the sound of savings on top brand appliances. The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Get up to 25% off select GE appliances right now. Offer valid January 5th through January 25th, 2023. U.S. only. See store or online for details. Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.